It is understandable, though a bit silly, why we would renew our hyper-focus on consumer prices in the U.S., and to an extent, producer prices too. After the experience of the last couple years, where consumer price increases, acceleration, an outbreak of the supply shock had been the major thorn in the side of not just the economy, but everybody trying to live and work in it, that little blip in January, the rebound in gasoline prices, has a lot of people on edge. None more so than those empty suits at the Federal Reserve who are now saying, boy, we're worried about inflation reigniting, if only because they have no idea how inflation works. But it pays. It pays to step outside that hyper-focus and every once in a while look around at what's going, or what's going on not just outside the U.S., but outside the U.S. and outside of price behavior. Because when you do, it'll disabuse you of any notion of reigniting uh, consumer price pressures, the idea of transitory disinflation, even the soft landing itself. It's not going very well at all. Now, as I've said before, soft landing fever has depended upon three major parts. One is Europe, which is probably the lesser part, lesser of the three. Europe surviving last year's energy crisis, escaping the worst case scenario, which I think people are starting to realize doesn't mean that's good. That just means it wasn't as bad or as terrible as, as once feared. The second part is U.S. labor market, labor conditions. Employment will continue to be strong and resilient. Therefore, the U.S. economy will weather the coming storm. We'll set that aside for now. We've talked about payrolls and everything else. But by and large, the world is really depending on the third one or the first one, depending on how you order it. And that's China. China reopening. China no longer restrained by the pandemic lunacy of Xi Jinping. Therefore, now that it's set free to fly, not only will China fly, the rest of the world will be brought up with it and we can all ceremoniously, harmoniously move into a prosperous future, avoiding not just recession, soft landing, boom, all that stuff, all the best possible cases. So how's it going with China reopening? Well, we don't really have a whole lot of data, certainly for um, the Chinese themselves. They, they put out some PMIs for January. They were way up, which many people took as confirmation that it's going really well. When, when you looked at them more closely, what you saw was this looks a little too familiar like last year. And then beyond that, we do have some data that pertains a lot to China especially a big one today that's going to leave you unnerved. Before we get to that, let's talk about the Baltic Dry Index. You may not know this, but the Baltic Dry Index, which is a main dry goods shipping index, has a lot to do with Chinese economic activity. Now, I've mentioned this before, and since I did not long ago, the picture of the Baltic Dry Index on China in particular has gotten much worse. Gotten worse to the point where the Baltic Dry Index is heading toward record lows. It is today, at a, or it is yesterday, yesterday at a rate that we haven't seen since the middle of 2020. And as much as the Baltic Dry Index is concerning, that wasn't even the big one that we got yesterday. The real concerning, the real thing that's gonna knock your socks off, that actually came from Japan. So we're going to look at China reopening and wonder where the hell it is. But that all that's next. First, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. I do thank you very much for joining me. 
As always, I'm going to remind you here that Eurodollar University has memberships available. You can get one for yourself where we talk about, we go over the monetary system, the financial system, the implications in economy, as well as social and political conditions. I do research subscriptions, a daily briefing I put out daily, as the name implies. That's a bundled in partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. Go over there if you're interested with that. And I have a research subscription for my daily deep dive analysis where we deep dive deep into the details, the background details that you learn in, in, the, in the Eurodollar University memberships to understand what's going unfolding today so that we can be better prepared for tomorrow. All the information available for you at eurodollar.university. So if we go back, before we get to the big stuff, we go back to late December. The Baltic Dry Index was about, what was it, 1723. That was on December 21st. 1723, that's not a great number. That's not a good number by any stretch of the imagination. The Baltic Dry Index had been falling all throughout last year. As these whispers and rumors of global recession, especially a trade recession, grew louder and louder. But there was a little bit of a bounce as this zero COVID, getting rid of uh, getting rid of the pandemic policies in China, Xi Jinping coming to his senses. This was going to lead to a massive rebound in Chinese demand. And so we had a little bit of a rebound in the Baltic Dry, particularly in the Cape size part of the index, because the Cape size is the big, massive cargoes of coal and iron ore that go from, say, South America to China to be turned into all the goods that not only uh, that are needed to build China up even further, but also that are then shipped around the rest of the world in the completion of the global trade cycle. But since December 21st, until going up to January 24th, so fast forward a month, just as the golden week in China begins in 2023, the Baltic Dry went from 1723 to 721. It lost a thousand points in January. Many observers were stunned because this was reopening. This was January's the first month of reopening. So many, a lot of observers, a lot of commentators said, well, maybe it had to do with the fact that China's Golden Week was a week earlier this year. And for the Golden Week, and even before the Golden Week begins, manufacturers start to ramp down their production. Of course, everything's closed for the spring holiday, all that stuff. So maybe that accounted for the Golden Week, accounted for why Baltic Dry was down. Also, we had seasonal rains in Brazil that happen every season, but maybe this, this season the rains in Brazil were more seasonal than not, and therefore that closed down more production from Brazilian mines. If there's not enough coming out of Brazilian mines, maybe that accounts for the, the weak demand in the Baltic dry shipping, therefore the, especially the biggest bulk carriers. There's also some stuff with Australia. But you already know where I'm going with this because I already spoiled it. Since January 24th, Rather than rebound as China got past its golden week as the rains cleared up in Brazil, the Baltic Dry has gone lower and lower and lower. To the point that, again, just yesterday, it was 5.30. Now, how bad is 5.30? 5.30 is worse than every single day in March and April 2020. 
You read that right. You heard that right. You didn't read it right. I read it. You heard it. It was worse than every single day during the worst lockdowns in the modern era. I don't even know how to describe it. Worse than every single day than March and April 2020. And there were only 16 days in May and June of 2020 that were less than 530 for the Baltic Dry. And 22 days in January and February 2020 anticipating the bad economy that was ready to, that was about to be unleashed. 530 is worse than every single day during the so-called Great Recession, which had been caused by a global monetary crisis, the likes of which we hadn't seen since the 1930s. 5.30 on the Baltic Dry, suffice to say, is not good. And this is the middle of February, heading toward the end of February. The golden week is a month behind us. China reopening has been reopening for more than um, for almost two months now, so we've got major reopening. It's supposed to be going really well, and the Baltic Dry number says things are not going well. Things are going really badly. In particular, these large bulk carriers of raw material that really should be loaded up with goods, iron ore, coal, heading to China because China is, we're all told about to unleash a tidal wave of demand, both internally as well as eventually externally. You don't see it in the Baltic Dry whatsoever. But maybe that's just the Baltic Dry. Maybe there's some quirks there. You always, I mean, we always used to hear when the Baltic Dry was going lower during the aftermath of the so-called Great Recession, that there's too many ships. Well, of course there's too many ships because there's no demand. But let's, you know, okay, Baltic Dry is one thing. What else do we have? Well, we've got container rates coming out of China as well as going into China. Those are falling again, according to Fredo's Baltic Index, not to be confused with the Baltic Dry Index. Essentially, there's no pickup in demand in, uh, for, glo for global demand for goods being made in China, which would kind of explain why China isn't demanding the raw materials that would go into making those goods. But that's not, again, all right, let's cut to the chase here. As I said, there was a big one yesterday that w I looked at it and I had to go back and relook at it because I thought it was a misprint. It was that bad. What I'm talking about is Japan. Japan is one of China's as well as many parts of the rest of the world, but China in particular, one of their biggest trade partners. Japan does make stuff that goes into, Jap into China. Japan reported on their exports. So all the goods Japan makes or assembles and then sends back around the rest of the world, China in particular. And the numbers they just reported yesterday, although it was Wednesday night our time, Thursday in terms of Jap Japan time, what, what they reported was total exports by value rose 3.5%. That's not a good number because prices obviously have been rising precipitously for, for a long time. So year over year, by value exports rose 3.5%, which was the lowest nominal gain since February 2021. So already not good. But by volume, adjusting for prices as the Ministry of Finance does for us, helpfully, by volume in January, exports from Japan to everywhere else in the rest of the world fell by 11.6%. That's a pretty bad number. It means that Japanese companies and Japanese shippers are doing a lot less. Even if they're getting paid a little bit more than last year, they're doing a lot less business. 
because there's a lot less business and demand from the rest of the world. Exports to the United States, uh, they were up 10.2% year over year in January by value. That's not a great number either. We all know the prices of everything have gone up. So by volume, exports to the U.S. sunk 3.6%. Not terrible, but also not good. And also consistent with the beginning stages of the inventory cycle that we see here. To Europe in January, exports from Japan to Europe were up 9.5% by value. Again, that's not a good number, price changes and all that. By volume, they're now falling 4.3%. Apparently, maybe Europe did survive the worst case electricity crisis, but that doesn't mean it passed and got past all the bad potential scenarios that are out there. You already see where we're moving here. These aren't the big news. Uh, let's Asia, Asia, Asia here includes all of Asia. So Asia, Jap Japan, J Japanese exports to all of Asia fell by 4% year over year in January and falling by 4% in nominal terms, in, in yen value. And th these trade in yen used to be high flying over the last couple of years. Now it's falling in value. By volume, Jap Jap Japanese exports, I can say it, Japanese exports fell by 15.5% year over year. And you can already guess what the big reason why or where this weakness is coming from. You betcha, China. In January, January, the week, the, the month where reopening is supposed to be at its absolute maximum. Zero COVID's gone. China's set free, celebrating the golden week. By value, exports from Japan to China fell 17% from the previous January, by value. By volume, it fell 30.7%, an enormous decline. And I know what you're thinking. Well, maybe that's because the golden week was moved up further into January 2023 than it had been in January 2022. So these year-over-year -year numbers aren't comparable, and these are not seasonally adjusted anyway. But they don't need to be. You can see what I'm showing you right here, that this is an enormous decline regardless of where the golden week falls. In fact, you can compare these numbers to prior golden weeks, and what you see is that this is by far the worst. In fact, if you look at January 2023's numbers and compare it to January 2020, by value, Japanese exports to China are up 7.9%, which is not good considering all the price changes in the three-year period in between, by volume down 17.3% compared to January 2020. Starting to get the sense that there's something to this Baltic dry number after all. And it's not like January 2023, these weak numbers are out of the blue. If you go back to December, just one month before, where China was beginning to reopen, Japanese exports to China were down 6.2% year over year in yen value and down 24% by volume. So that's two months in a row where we look at these numbers and say, holy cow, what is going on in China is not reopening. In fact, let's compare these numbers from Japan to the last time China was really locked down, which was the Shanghai lockdowns last April, April of 2022. 
In April of 2022, Japanese shipments to China fell by 5.9% in value and 22.6% by volume. So during the worst of the most recent lockdowns, the by uh, falling 6% by value, falling 23% by volume, the last two months, January 23 and December 22, are worse than either of those. China's reopening doesn't seem to be going well. We've got trouble around the rest of the world, but it's the Chinese that is standing out for all the wrong reasons. When China is supposed to be getting the rest of the world, including Japan, Japan first, it's supposed to be bringing everyone else up with its robust reopening demand. And it's not happening. In fact, the opposite seems to be happening. And we know why. First of all, this reopening idea was more myth and hope and fairy tale than not. We had a reopening last year and it fizzled. We had Shanghai, which was much more of a severe lockdown in the, in the early part of last year, especially April, March and April of 2022. We had reopening in May and June of 2022 that went nowhere. We already saw that what happened when the China reopens to a weak global economic environment, as well as internal environment. But everybody had convinced themselves, nudged, and nudged quite a bit by the mainstream that always looks at China optimistically, that the problem wasn't China's economy or the global economy, it was zero COVID. And if you eliminate zero COVID, everything will be fine. Well, they've eliminated zero COVID and everything is now much, much worse. Much, much worse. So now that we have the prospect of China reopening disappointing like it did last year, China reopening has turned into maybe a crash. It looks absolutely dangerous. Internally in China, we got, I mean, the external weakness is pretty well apparent. We've got global recession. We've got especially global trade, global goods. We've seen this around the rest of the world. Demand, external demand on China has fallen off precipitously Regardless of what they say, the PMI numbers actually, I think, showed that better than anyone else, especially the manufacturing PMI in China. China was too much like last year, especially new export orders. So we see that in a number of things, Baltic Dry, now Japan. But China has internal problems too, starting with its housing market. Homes prices have been falling for the last nine months, and they've been falling at a 1.5% or 1.5 or to 1.6% annual rate for the last six months. And contrary to what you hear in the mainstream too, authorities there aren't doing anything about it. The last time the PBOC cut its five-year loan prime benchmark or influenced the loan prime benchmark lower, that was August. And as of their fix for the MLF this week, February, we're not gonna see any rate cuts either even as household mortgage loans has been incredibly weak all along, right through this reopening too. So much of Chinese household savings is tied up to real estate. And as long as the real estate market isn't going, isn't going to do anything but contract and create uncertainty, we should not expect much of China. External demand is falling off. Internal demand is constrained. It was never zero COVID. Now that it's happening, now that we're seeing reopening happening, we're getting the Baltic dry near record lows. We're looking at these Jap Japanese export numbers and it's, 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 it's not China reopening hope. It's now China reopening fear because there's a lot to be afraid of here. 
While we're all focused on the U.S. CPI and PPI, we should be looking overseas at what's actually happening because what's going on overseas will end up in the U.S. CPI and PPI relatively short order. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, enormous thank you to the Eurodollar, Euro, Eurodollar University research subscribers, as well as all our Eurodollar University members. We really do appreciate it. And until next time, take care.